Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark, and it's uh, my privilege uh, to fill this pulpit on most, most Sundays for the last 12 years or so. If you're visiting with us, I'd love to have an opportunity to uh, meet you. Uh, we have some gifts for you if you're visiting with us. I've written a couple of devotionals, yearly devotional, and we'd like for you to have one of those. They're out at the information table. If you're visiting with us, those are yours free. If you're been visiting with us for a while now, but I've never gotten one of those. We'd love for you to take uh, one of those. Uh, church this size, it's hard for me to get around to all the visitors, but we'd love for you to have you to get around to me, so feel free to come up and introduce yourself uh, to me. Uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you all and everything that you do. Um, we obviously were in eastern Kentucky two weeks, in a, uh, weeks ago as we uh, did some work there and, and 19 of us went down there to help in the flooding and I want you to know that we made a return trip back uh, this weekend and Jeff Blackaby uh, went down there along with uh, three uh, along with his brother and uh, two other people and uh, patched the roof here on top of this church that's a that's obviously, that's the back of the church there. That's a storefront church in Fleming Neon. To tell you a little bit about Fleming Neon, Kentucky, uh, that church bought a 6,800 square foot storefront for $5,000. And um, they run 70 in their worship service, and there's only 300 people in the whole town, so they're doing uh, better than we are, really. And, um, but their church was totally... Uh, decimated five feet of water throughout that church muck and mud all the way through and as we surveyed the damage there uh, Jeff and I went there one day and um, we saw some problems with the roof and they admitted there was a good bit of leakies that they've had back in three or four Sunday school rooms and we said well before you go back in and put new drywall and everything back in this place let, let us fix your roof so you can get it good and dry in here and so obviously the flood didn't cause roof damage but we figured the roof needed to be fixed before the rest of the stuff did Paul Crisp the pastor of the Blanchester Church is the one who put me onto these guys Paul knows these guys and I trust Paul Crisp with my life and uh, we were just so pleased to go back as I told uh, as I told you on Facebook and some of you will know this story and some don't we asked the board at our board meeting on Tuesday night we asked them for 7500 to go back and and fix this roof and and for the cost of going down there and staying two nights and and meals and all that kind of stuff and we overestimated that just to make sure we have enough and uh, so the board gave us 9,000 and um, they said uh, uh, and I said well I'm sure they'll they'll bring a good bit of that back and the board said uh, there's no reason to bring it back you just leave it with the church and so they were able to give the church $4,000 as well as fix their roof. So I am, hopefully we not only fixed their roof, but we encouraged that church. And I don't see Jeff here today, so I think I told them to stay in worship with them today. They're meeting at a local Baptist church. And I told them to stay in worship with them today, and maybe they did that. And so... Uh, just thank you for being so generous and uh, in your giving and then a board who's generous to help others. Uh, the purpose of a church is not to accumulate money, and we're always um, looking for ways to give money away. Uh, we've got a lot of cash on hand uh, that I'm not sure is godly. Uh, we're not really saving for anything, and I'm not sure it's the best thing for churches to do to accumulate cash. So we're always looking for places where we can help uh, people. The church also um, made an expenditure, I think it was $7,500 again, 
uh, to buy our own trailer that will be just kind of uh, our, our disaster relief trailer. And we're going to stock it with stuff. And um, uh, so every time we go, we have to go to Lowe's and buy a bunch of tools and all that kind of stuff. We usually leave the tools with the people that we're working with. But we're going to have our own disaster relief uh, trailer. We've gone on, I think, nine or ten of these trips in the last, since 13 maybe. And so, uh, unfortunately, there's disasters everywhere, and we'll be called to do that again. And so, you'll see a new trailer. Well, you probably won't see it because we'll park it in the barn out back. But I just appreciate the board and their, and their desire to be missional in the, all, everything that we do and to help uh, other people. Uh, and we can't do that if uh, you all weren't a generous people yourself. So thank you so much for that. We're in a series of messages. This is our second week, and we're talking through Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews is commonly referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. The Bible doesn't call it the Hall of Fame of Faith because God doesn't look at Christians and think and says, you're a Hall of Famer, but you're not. Uh, but us, uh, man has determined that this is a good thing to call Hebrews chapter 11 the Hall of Fame of Faith because there are people throughout the book, uh, the chapter of Hebrews 11, that are commended for their faith. And I think that's amazing because when you get accreditation in scripture you don't get accreditation because you stop drinking and stop smoking and stop chewing even though I think that's a good and and godly thing to be able to do you get a you get accredited and you get uh, 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 noticed in scripture because you have faith and you took a you took a risk and you had courage and you stepped out on faith and that convicts me because I have a pretty easy life have a middle to upper middle income and and uh, most of my life can be controlled by me thank you very much and uh, I wonder how much in my life has to do with faith I really do sometimes God has given me the ability to speak and 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 uh, you know I, I hopefully use those talents and gifts for him but how much of my life is really by faith I'm not sure that too much of it is to be quite honest with you I listed a couple of reasons last week that I think are things that have happened in my life that are uh, only a God thing. And so that's really challenged me this week, and I hope it challenges you as well. What is it in your life that's, that's only by faith? That you've stepped out on faith, got out of your comfort zone, and, and done something. And that's how people get mentioned in Scripture. Because of faith, they did this. And so we have some examples of some of those people in Scripture Last week we spoke through Abel and the better offering that he bring, brought and he, we talked about that means you've you got to come to God on God's terms and you don't come to God on your own terms and that message is on the internet if you choose to listen to it. But what I want you to notice here as we list these people, you always see these people by faith and you have a name and then you have a verb. So by faith you have a name and then you have a verb. By faith Abel brought. By faith Enoch walked. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. You remember the story of Abraham, obviously. I mean, God called, when you talk about faith, God called Abraham to leave his people and go to another country that I'll show you. And Abraham said, where it is it? He said, don't worry about where it is. I'll show, tell you when you get there. Abraham obeyed and he went and he left. You, so you have a name in scripture. And then you have a verb in, in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Isaac blessed his son Jacob. By faith, Jacob blessed. By, that should be each, that's my fault, this is my typo, each of, each of J, uh, Jacob's sons. By faith, Joseph spoke about the Exodus and gave instructions about the burial of his bones. You talk about faith. 
Joseph says, hey, don't bury me here in Egypt. You, you, you bury me in the land God will take you to. You talk about wanting to be remembered on your deathbed. <laughs> God hadn't brought him out of Egypt yet. Exodus had not happened yet. And Joseph says, God's going to bring you out of this land. Don't bury my bones here. Bring him in the prom- bury him in the land he shows you. <laughs> By faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And the whole story continues after that. So if our names would ever show up in anything like the Hall of Fame of Faith, it would have to say by faith, Mark, and then a verb. By faith, Karen, and then a verb. By faith, Mike, and then a verb. By faith, John, and then a verb. By faith, Brian, and then a verb. And that challenges me. And I hope challenges you. What in our lives is attributed to faith? I can lean on my own understanding a lot, you know. I'm a halfway semi-intelligent guy. I can figure things out. Would I, have, would I have left and gone to the country that God would show me without having anything figured out? Okay, God, where are we going? I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. And Abraham is now the father of many nations. He's the father of the Christian faith. He's the father of the Jewish faith. And some Islamic scholars would say he's the father of Islam as well. Because of his faith. Because of his faith. And that tells me something. That tells me something about faith. Because you have a name and a verb. That tells me that faith works. You understand what I mean by that? Faith works works there's this whole argument in scripture and it shows up in James chapter 2 but it shows up other places too that there's this dichotomy and there's this conflict between faith and works you have faith I have works can works save you or faith save you and there's this battle between faith and works and, and there's no battle in scripture there's really not faith works if you have faith it will work out somehow in your life If you have faith, it somehow will demonstrate itself in your life some way. Now, you aren't saved by that demonstration of works. You're saved for good works. Some people only think you're saved for heaven. Well, you are saved for heaven. But you're also saved for the person that you can be right here on this earth. Faith works. And you know that from several places in Scripture, but it's just over and over and over in Hebrews chapter 11, you see it, by faith, verb, by faith, verb, by faith, verb. Over and over and over again. James chapter 2, he starts arguing. There must have been a problem with this back in, and even in James' time when he wrote this. Some people says they have faith, and some people says they have works, and we still have that problem today. I mean, uh, you, you, you ask... You ask the everyday, ordinary Joe or Jane person in the United States if they're going to heaven, and they'll say yes, and then you say why, and they'll give you a works answer. They'll give you a works answer. And I've told you a hundred times, first person I ever led to the Lord back when I was just a a little rookie, and uh, I asked her that question. I said, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? She says, yes. I said, why? 
And she says, because I forgive people. That's works. It's self-righteousness. And why did Jesus die if we can be good enough to go to heaven? Why did he die? Wouldn't it have been a waste? Well, maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus died and then we got to help Jesus out a little bit. Maybe that's it. You think that's it, Mike? Maybe that's it. Jesus' death probably did like half of it, maybe. Isn't that blasphemy? So there's always been this problem between faith and works, and James tackles it in chapter 2 of the book of James. And James says this in chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? James says, can, such, can that kind of faith save them? If they have faith, but it doesn't show up in their life anywhere. Verse 15 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or, or, and daily food. Verse 16 says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, you know, what good is that? What good is that? Verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So there must have been a problem with this in James's time. That people said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in God, but it didn't show up somewhere in their life. And so James is tackling this in biblical times, and we are still tackling it 2,000 years later. This verse 18 is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then we get to verse 19, which is what I meant is one of the scariest verses. I'm sorry. You believe there's one God? He says sarcastically, good. Big deal. The demons believe that. So you know what that means? There are people that have a demonic faith. They have faith of a demon. Because they believe in God, but it doesn't show up in their life anywhere. They have a demonic faith. So James, so, so James is being sarcastic here. You believe there's one God? Well, big deal. Even the demons believe that. And at least they shudder out of reverence for God. So we've always had this faith and works and faith and works. But if you go through all of Scripture and not just take one little verse out of Scripture, they're tied together. Faith works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says about me and about you, all of us that have been born again, not just all of us that come to church, all of us that have been born again. The Bible says we are God's handiwork, created Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we would do. Now, it's amazing that that verse comes two verses after you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, so no man will boast. So it's harping in verse 8. It's harping on grace. But then he says in verse 10, just make sure you know that you don't misunderstand this grace through faith thing. You're created for good works. So I'm trying to tell you this morning that you just can't read Hebrews 11 and, and, and see, by faith, 
Abel, verb. By faith, Joseph, verb. By faith, Noah, verb. Faith works. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, the first passage of Scripture I think I ever memorized. I, I've, I've done a series on this, on this passage. And Titus 2, 11 through 14 talks about the grace of God. I, I was challenged one time to write a mission statement for my life, and I paraphrased the, uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. It's, it's my mission to preach the grace of God. And this grace appears to all men and it offers salvation to everybody. Now, what does this grace teach us? Verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. That's what grace teaches us. Well, grace just teaches me I got a free ride to heaven. Just a free ticket to heaven. I can go live any way I want to. There are people that actually believe that. They're called antinomians. They're called antinomians. Anti is against. Namos means law. They're against the law. They say you just got to have faith. There's, there's, no, there's no law. There's no thou shouts and thou shalt not. You just got to have faith. You can live your life any way you want to. The Bible plain, plainly teaches here and many other places, grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness. Does that mean we're perfect people? Of course not. There's not a single one of us, and I'll stand first in that line. But I know that grace teaches me, if I will appropriate that grace to my life, if I will live by grace, it teaches me to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. Well, I'll be godly when I get to heaven. In this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And listen to verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. This is why he died. To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself. That means relationship. A people of his very own. That means relationship. Eager to do what is good. <laughs> that, that verse is, summarizes all of Christianity. If I don't need any other verse in Scripture, I'll take that right there. It teaches me to say no. It, it redeems me from wickedness and, 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 and puts me in relationship with him, purifies for himself a people of his very own who want to do good things. Not to be saved because you are saved. I don't do those good things. Well, I'm, I'm trying. I've done seven good things today. I'm going to remind God of that when I stand before him. That I, yeah. Faith works. Now, that's just my introduction to the message, by the way, right there. <laughs> but that could stand alone right there. Faith works. Hope you take that with you. Faith works. Faith works. If you've got faith, it'll show up in your life. It will. It just will. It, it can't help not to. It won't show up perfectly. That's why 1 John was written. That when we sin, we have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ. But it, 
it has to work out. What, what in the world does it mean? 2 Corinthians 5.17 has to mean something. It says, I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. You know, if you just come to church, you don't get this. Because if you, the only thing you're doing is coming to church, you get a little church anity. And you don't understand this. And you know why? You haven't been born again. You just get a little church. And as I said last week, church damns you to hell. Because church makes you think you're okay. And what church should do, what the preaching of the Word of God should do, is convict you that you're not okay and you need to lay yourself before the blood of Christ. Faith works. Now as we come to our next Hall of Famer, as we come to our next Hall of Famer, Abel was our first one. Enoch shows up to be our second one. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses, I think, 5 and 6, by faith, Enoch. Now you said, well, was is not a verb there, Mark. Well, there's a whole big parenthesis here. That he, they're trying to describe, tell you who Enoch is. And you've got to know pretty much about, a good bit about your Bibles to know who Enoch is. Because he's not mentioned very much. I think he's in, in nine verses. He's, it's only, he's just mentioned in nine verses in all of Scripture. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. So he did not experience death. So basically he was just walking one day and zip. I don't know how it happened. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how it happened. But he just said he was taken from this life. Pretty weird if he was walking with his wife one day and just zip. By faith Enoch was, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. What's that mean, Mark? I don't know. I don't know. It's not explained to us. I, I, I don't explain things. I try not to explain things that the Bible doesn't explain. God evidently feels like we don't need to know that. For he was taken, for before he was taken, he was committed as one who pleased God. All right, go, go back to that verse. So all this is a big parenthesis. By faith, and all was a big parenthesis. By faith, any pleased God. There's your verb. And you're going to also see a little bit later that the Bible says he walked with God. By faith, Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. Now go to verse 6, and it says, by the way, the only way you can please him is by faith. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. So, we went, so, so the reason that we went to Kentucky was just because, you know, I really like to work in the mud. I have a good time with the guys. Well, you didn't please God going down there then. You pleased, you pleased God if you went down there to, to demonstrate your faith in Jesus Christ, to, to somehow put a tangible witness. If you just went down there, well, I just like to shovel mud and hang out with the guys and have pizza at night. Well, good for you. I'm glad you came, but it did not please God. God is pleased when you act on faith. And that usually takes courage and a risk. And that's why it convicts me. Because i got a pretty comfortable life. So verse 6 again says, It's impossible to please God. Only through faith can we have it up there. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now do me a favor. Uh, Amy, go to Genesis 5, 22 through 24 real quickly. And that's kind of out of order in what I told you to do. 
But when we look at other places that the Bible talks about Enoch, we get to Genesis 5. And we find out that Enoch, after he became the father of Methuselah, fascinating there, friends. You, you don't have to have too much of a brain to think that he wasn't walking faithfully with God before Methuselah's birth. There was a time and a choice and a decision that Enoch, Enoch decided to walk faithfully with God. Why would God inspire the writer to say, after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. 300 years, and he had other sons and, and daughters. The, the race was pure back then, and we didn't have all the impurities from disease and sin, and so people lived longer. And he lived 365 years total. Then verse 24 says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more. Because God just kind of star-warded him right up to heaven. I mean, he just took him. Enoch walked faithfully with God. And, 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 and Hebrews 11 says Enoch pleased God. So walking with God and pleasing God are, are listed as synonymous here. Both of descriptions about Enoch. He pleased God and he walked with God. So I think we could say walking with God is pleasing. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, you walk with people that you're in step with and that you're in agreement with and that you're talking with and listening to and in relationship with. And people that you're in conflict with, you don't walk too much with them. You, you pretty much stop and you have a conversation. I, I mean, it's just not, you're not taking a walk around the block and arguing. That, that, that's kind of weird. You, you, you kind of stop and you, you settle that and then you just walk and talk about your families and the Buckeyes and all. You, you just walk and you're, you're in relationship. Enoch walked with God, walked faithfully with God. What a marvelous thing to put on your gravestone. Mike kneeled, he walked with God. Could you put anything greater on anyone else's tombstone? Dave Pippen, walk with God. Rod Anderson came up to me after the first service and said, maybe he would say, Rod Anderson, still walking with God. That's good, isn't it? What a marvelous thing. You know, I could say Mark Atherton, he led 12 missions trips. That's kind of funny. That's, I mean, that's kind of stupid to put that on the gravestone, right? But it wouldn't be Mark Atherton. December 13th, 1958, to whatever death date, he walked with God. Could there be any greater thing to put on anyone's tombstone? He walked with God. She walked with God. Because she walked with God encompasses the whole life. That meant she was a good mother, she was a good spouse, she was a good employee, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. encompasses the whole life. It doesn't, it, walking with God is 24-7. Walking with God is not Sunday morning at 1045. Walking with God it encompasses your whole life. It encompasses when you punch in at work and when you punch out at work. It, it encompasses when you're mowing the grass and it encompasses when you're driving in your car and it just when you're a neighbor and, and when, you're, when you're disciplining your kids. and all, it just, it's, it's the whole thing. You walk with God. She walked with God. 
the summation of her life. I don't know anything better than anyone could put on anyone's tombstone. And do you remember what it says in, in Genesis? I think we have Genesis 3, 8 up there maybe. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and everything was really cool and, 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 and they were walking in the cool of the day and they heard the Lord God coming as well and then they were no longer in good relationship with him because they sinned, they hid from him. They weren't walking with the cool of the garden anymore. They weren't enjoying fellowship with God like Genesis 2 tells us. They got out of step with God and they hid from him. Do you know what? Guys, do you know something? Can I just be honest with you, Nazarenes? When you sin, you don't have to go hide from God. First of all, he already knows it. But he's made a way for you. You repent of that. You confess that. And you keep walking right along with him. Well, you're not good enough. God doesn't say, well, you're not good enough to walk with me anymore. You, you walk back. God didn't say that. God says, God says you acknowledge it, you repent of it, you confess with it, and you come walk with me. Hiding from God, that is, that's what sin does. It makes you stupid. I mean, you, they're hiding from God. They're hiding from God. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon from the book of Amos, but the book of Amos chapter 3, verse 3, says, can two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Other translations say, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? What, what a cool description of the Christian life. She walked with God. He walked with God. And that's what, we do, that's, that's what we know about Enoch. doesn't say Enoch built an ark or doesn't say Enoch fought the battle of Jericho or doesn't say that, 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 that Enoch led the people out of, the, uh, out of Egypt. It just says, hey, he, he pleased God because he walked faithfully with God. doesn't show with any big, huge thing that Enoch did. He didn't build an ark. didn't do like Abraham. Went to the land that God would show him, left all of his people, took a few of his family with him, left all of his people and the gods that his fathers worshipped, and he's going off somewhere. He's got no clue where it is because God told him to go. Didn't say, didn't say Enoch did that. It just says Enoch. It just says he walked faithfully with God, and God was very pleased with that. You know, you've heard old preachers say you can't walk with a God and walk with the devil at the same time. And you know why they say that? They just don't invent that up. That's what James 4 says. And, and, and James chapter 4, James calls, calls Christians that are not walking with God. He says, hey, you Christians, you're committing adultery. You're in covenant relationship with God, and you're walking with the devil. You're a bunch of adulterous people. That's, what, that's basically what James is saying. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, means you're enemies with God? Now, what does friendship with the world mean? It doesn't mean that I'm not... That doesn't mean friends with a person who's not a Christian. It means the philosophy of the world. And you hear the philosophy of the world every day at work. You go, you go to your break room, you hear it every day. That's why as a school teacher, they thought I was a snob because I never go to the break room because there was the world in there. And I was a baby Christian and I couldn't deal with it. I would sooner or later fall to all the moaning and griping and complaining that went on in the break room. It was the world. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy with God. And the old preacher just said, hey, you can't walk with the devil and walk with God at the same time. 
So walking with God means you have made a choice not to walk with the world. And the world is the philosophy of the world. I'm trying to be in relationship with a lot of people that are of the world. Because he's told me to be salt and light and be a good influence to those people. But I don't buy into their philosophy of the world. It's huge, huge difference there. Uh, do you remember Psalm 1? Psalm 1, David writes, Blessed is the one who, walk, who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or take the seat in the company of mockers. So basically, if I can paraphrase David there, blessed is the one who does not walk with the world. Enoch walked with God. Enoch pleased God. And God took him. <laughs> Who else? He took uh, Elisha. Was it Elisha that he took? Two? I don't know of anybody else in Scripture. So don't think that that's the normal way that God's going to take people, okay? It's an extraordinary thing that God chose to do. Now, do you remember back when I read in Genesis? It, it plainly says that after Enoch became the father of Methuselah, he walked faithfully with God. It plainly said that, right? And you don't have to have a Master of Divinity degree to figure out, well, if the, God inspired the writer to say that, that must mean that before the birth of Methuselah, he wasn't walking faithfully with God. I mean, that's, I mean. So that tells us something about Enoch that all of us can learn from his life. The, the faith that pleases God is a personal faith, one that you come to yourself. I don't care how godly your mom is. I don't care how godly your dad is or was. I don't care how good of a church you go to. You can't get to heaven on somebody else's coattails. The faith that changes you, the faith that pleases God, the faith that walks with God is a personal faith. And that's why I said last week, and I know it's a rather stark statement, and you think I'm just trying to be provocative, but it's true. The church, if it's just the church, and that's all you have, it damns you to hell. And lots of times people try to make a little correction in their life and, 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 and start cleaning up their life a little bit, so they start coming to church. But they never receive Christ. They never get saved. They never get born again. They get a little bit of church and they get comfortable with a little bit of church instead of coming personally and say, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And it, the scripture plainly says that after Methuselah was born, Enoch started walking faithfully with God. We've told our boys since they were old enough to understand this has got to be your faith. Mommy and daddy can't get you to heaven. The Xenia Nazarene Church won't get you to heaven. You have got to come to this of your own free will. It's got to be yours. It's got to be yours. Moms and dads can play an unbelievably vital role in that. But i got to come to faith myself. So... 
So the faith that pleases God is a personal faith. I must come to him in a personal way. After Methuselah was born, Enoch walked faithfully with God. The faith that pleases him is a personal faith. The old song says, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in need of prayer. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord. You've got to come to that personal, that personal. When I walked the aisle at a Baptist church at the age of 12 years old and told the preacher something, I think I said something like, I've, I've, I've been a Sunday Christian and I've been a Christian because my parents are Christian, but I've got to have it myself. Now, even though I was rather convicted that day and I even walked the aisle and said that, nothing really happened in my life for the next 22 years until I really got saved. I just said some words. I was convicted. My dad back there in the back during the altar call, he says, you need to go, don't you? And of course I needed to go. But I didn't want to. But I wasn't going to tell my dad no. No, dad, I'm okay. <laughs> and so I walked, and my tears were not tears of conviction. They were tears of humility that it takes to, to step out that aisle and walk to the front. And I said some things that pleased the preacher, but nothing really happened in my life. Until the age of 34, I personally grabbed a hold of it of my own free will my dad wasn't sitting there you need to go don't you dad was doing the right thing there I mean dad was just being a dad and he was right I needed to go so Enoch we can learn about that it's a personal faith but we can learn one more thing from Enoch that I think is absolutely crucially important for each one of us senior Nazarenes and everybody listening by way of the live stream. In all of Scripture, we don't have any, any big thing that Enoch did by faith. It just says Enoch walked faithfully with God and pleased God. It's all it says. It doesn't say that Enoch did anything big for God. He certainly didn't build an ark, certainly didn't... Uh, fight the battle of Jericho, certainly didn't leave people out of Exodus, certainly didn't do like Abraham, let people wait. He, he didn't by faith uh, be with lions in the, in the lion's den. It doesn't say anything. It just doesn't say anything about his big acts of faith. You think somebody that shows up in the Hall of Fame of Faith should have done something big for God? The only thing it says is any walk with God, and it pleased him. I've had a few people in my office from time to time. In fact, I just had somebody a few weeks ago, wasn't in my office, but it was outside, that said, I want to do something big for God. I think this is rather judgmental of me, but I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I think that's rather egotistical. I think that's mostly flesh. That, that's, I, I just want to walk with God. If God chooses to do something big through me, then that's up to him. You know what? If he doesn't choose to do something big with, through me, and I pastor a, people of 70, pastor a church of 70 people in Fleon, Fleming, Neon, Kentucky the rest of my life, if that pleases him as well, that's okay too. The Bible doesn't say anything about Enoch did something big for God. Well, why do you want to do something big for God? So you got to get to that. Why is it you want to do something big for God? So, so you'll be noticed as some super-duper Christian? I don't know. I'm probably judging the person. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a judger anyway. But seriously, get to the root of that. Why is it you want to do something big for God? Well, to give him the glory. I hope so. 
But I've known too many pastors that their ministry was about them. I've known too many of them. Ministry is about what they were doing for God. God chooses to do something big through you, glory to God. If he doesn't choose to do anything big for you, and the only thing you, you do in your life is to walk faithfully with God, that pleases him. That pleases him. God is no more pleased with a pastor that pastors a church of 10,000 than he is the pastor that pastors 70 people in Fleming Neon, Kentucky, if they both do it, if he does it faithfully. Because we have the ministries that we have because of what God gives us. And sometimes God gives us big areas to minister in, and some God, some God gives us Fleming Neon. And like I said earlier, you could argue that guy in Fleming Neon is doing a heck of a lot better than our church is because they got 70 people in a town of 300, and we got a little over 500 in a town of 25,000. If you just judge it by numbers, he's doing a heck of a lot better than we have. But you know what? He'll never make the top 100 list that we put in Outreach Marketing Magazine. Man makes that list up, by the way. God doesn't make that up. So because Enoch did, never did anything really big for God, we can learn something from him. Living by faith, walking with God doesn't require great acts of faith. Like big things, big things. I've told you a hundred times about the girl that came to my office four or five years ago. She said, I want to do something big for God. I said, you've got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. The biggest thing that you can do for God is direct them to Jesus. The biggest thing you can do for God is direct them to Jesus. Now, if God uses you in some other way, glory to his name. But there will be nothing bigger you, that you'll do is to point these three kids to Jesus. Nothing in God's eyes. Now, the, the world, now the world, the world will say something else. Well, she doesn't have a very big ministry. God doesn't look at it that way. She's invested her life in her three kids. And God gave her those three kids. And she, she didn't have a husband. And it was her responsibility to point those kids to Jesus. That's something pretty big, friends. That's big business for God. Living by faith doesn't require great acts of faith or doing real big things of faith. It doesn't require building an ark. It doesn't require leaving your country and going to a land that God will show you. It doesn't require fighting the battle of Jericho. It doesn't require being in a lion's den. It simply requires walking faithfully with him. And it means trusting him daily, believing his promises, and walking in his ways. And you know what? That pleases him. And Enoch showed up in the Hall of Fame of Faith, even though we have zero record of him doing anything big for God. I hope that encourages every single one of us, average Joes and Jane Christians in here. And I'll stand at the first of that line walking with God if he chooses to do something for me that one day gets recorded as big so be it if he doesn't I'm walking with him because that's the biggest thing that I could ever do as well as trying to point two boys to Jesus
And the walk with God doesn't start with you cleaning your act up a little bit. Stop smoking, stop drinking, stop watching porn. All that's, all that's well and good. But that's not the way the Christian life starts. Christian life starts with Jesus. And your acceptance of what he did on the cross. And that's why we serve communion every single Sunday. To remind us, this is the main thing. The main thing is not me doing something big for God. God may, may prompt me in that. But the main thing is me and Jesus in relationship with one another. And he's provided a wave in that relationship. And the only reason I can walk with him is because he's forgiven my sins. Because as we sung earlier, he's holy. That means he's other. I cannot approach him in my own right. He's holy. We sing that and we sing it glibly and flippantly. He's holy. He's other. God is holy. There's, there, there's, there's places in Scripture where people tried to approach God and they had no business approaching God because they, they, they did not have the righteousness of God and God just kind of like he just zapped them because they couldn't deal with his holiness. His holiness is not something to, to be fired up about. It's probably something to fear more than anything else. He's holy and you've got to be changed to approach him. You've got to be changed to walk with him. And that changing comes with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you get adopted into his family. And so every Sunday we remember that the walk with Jesus starts with you faithfully saying, I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to please you in any kind of way that would make me acceptable to you. So I say, would you forgive me? I repent of my sins, which means God help me never to do it again. I repent of my sins. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the only payment for my sin. Without Jesus, I'm a goner. I got, I'm, without Jesus, I'm lost. Because good works cannot save me. Without Jesus, I'm a goner. And that's why one of the reasons we do this every single Sunday. Our, our servers are coming to the table. And will lead us through it again. Father... I've tried to preach the gospel today as, as best that I know how, or at least as best as you've revealed to us in, 11, in Hebrews 11, 4, 5, and 6. And I just pray today that for us Christians, this will confirm our faith, maybe get us back on the road if we've taken a step off. I pray for anyone in the, under the sound of my voice that has nothing but churchanity, that they'll drop that self-righteous cloak of churchanity and cling to the only righteousness that is available to us and that's the death of Jesus Christ and our hope, belief, and trust in that. Help us to walk with you. Whether we do something big or we don't. In Jesus' name, amen.